today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com. And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Twelfth chapter of the book of Romans tonight. Romans chapter twelve, beginning with the first verse. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'm amazed at how much the Holy Spirit can say in a short amount of space. Really, there's a lot there that can be said, and uh, we'll attempt to deal with this one verse tonight if possible. Let's take it phrase by phrase. First of all, I beseech you therefore, brethren, uh, this phrase here refers us back to what was said in the previous chapter, chapter 11. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, outlined for us how that Israel was cut off because of their unbelief in Christ, and how that God, through His grace and mercy, grafted in the church, and uh, we were grafted into the good olive tree, and we were grafted in because of our faith, not because of anything that we did to earn any brownie points with God. It's all because of our faith in the finished work of Christ that we were grafted in. And although Israel has been cut off because of their lack of faith, there is coming a day when they will come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll take seven years of great tribulation to do it, but Israel will come back, and God will then graft them back into the good olive tree. And Paul warned us in the 11th chapter, verses 21 and 22, that if we, the church, go the same way as Israel did, and we reject Christ, and we go about to establish our own righteousness, And that's what Israel did. They went about to establish their own righteousness, and Israel was cut off. If we do the same, then we're going to be cut off as well. And it is a warning to us. And Paul says here in this verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren. In other words, I beg of you, brethren. In the Old Testament, you will see where God gives commands. But in the New Testament, there are no commands. We're just asked. And Paul says here, I beseech of you, brethren. Julie right now is, she's just finished reading the book of Romans for school. She's got to do a report on it. The teacher said, you can report on whatever, but you just can't quote a commandment. 
If there's a commandment in there, you can't quote a commandment because of rules and whatever the case. And I said, well, baby, you ain't got a thing to worry about because the New Testament is not a commandment. And Paul said right here, I beg of you, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 8 in your Bible. John chapter 8. Before God created man, he knew that man would fall, and it was decided by the Godhead sometime in eternity past to deal with man through and by the means of grace. And when God decided to deal with man through and by the means of grace, that automatically extended his mercy, because you can't have grace without mercy. The two go hand in hand. And one of the greatest examples of the grace and mercy of God is found here in the 8th chapter of John. Let's begin with the first verse. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might accuse him. This whole thing was a trap. To start with, here Jesus is teaching, and they come in and interrupt the service, interrupt his sermon. You've got hundreds of people sitting there hanging on every word, and they come into the middle of the service, bringing this woman, throwing her down at his feet, and accusing her of this thing, and saying that she was caught in the very act. Now, adultery takes two people, and my question is, where was the man? Why wasn't the man brought? Because the Bible says both individuals were to be stoned. So like I said, this whole thing was a trap to start with, and here's the trap. Had Jesus said, stone her, then he would have been usurping authority over the Roman government. The soldiers could have come in and carried him away. If he said, don't stone her, then they could accuse him of not upholding the law of Moses. So in this, they thought they had him. Let's continue on there, verse 6, latter part. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Now, in the Greek text, it actually says, He that is without this sin among you, let him cast the first stone. 
But at any rate, the Bible says there in verse 8 that he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted in their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. And he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If anyone had a right to condemn this woman, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't do it. He showed her grace and extended to her mercy. Now, didn't Jesus break the law by not having the sentence of death carried out? No. Because in just a few hours later, Jesus would go to the cross and he would pay the price for her sin. And not only her sin, but ours as well. That right there is the greatest example of grace and mercy found in the Bible. He took her place. The penalty, the condemnation that she deserved, he took it upon himself, and not only her, but when he died on that cross, he died for you and I as well. All right, go back to Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, seeing how God has extended his mercy to us, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The physical body is that which houses the soul and the spirit of man. This body is what we use to relate to this world. Without a body, we cannot function in this world. Now, this body can either be used for righteousness or unrighteousness. So the body is neutral. There's nothing evil per se about the physical body. But now how, what we yield it to and what we present ourselves to can be either righteousness or unrighteousness. And we need to present ourselves to an environment that is conducive to righteousness. If we place ourselves deliberately in an environment that is conducive to sin, then sin is going to be the end result. So, and I, and I know that we live in a world of sin, and some things can't be helped. But as much as we can, we need to present our bodies in an environment of righteousness. If we know certain activities, uh, certain sinful activities is going on over here, then we need to stay away from such places. If we know certain people are going to cause us to commit sin, then we need to uh, not go around those people. And let the Holy Spirit lead you in that. Paul went on to say here, a living sacrifice 
That's kind of an oxymoron. A living sacrifice. First of all, when Paul used that word sacrifice, he was talking about sacrifices that were offered up in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And when uh, an offering was, was sacrificed, it was dead, not to come back. There's only one sacrifice that died and came back to life, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said here that we're to present your bodies a living sacrifice. How in the round world do you do that? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I'm going to show you how. Galatians 2. In verse 20, Paul said, Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice by maintaining our faith in Christ and what he did for us at the cross, understanding that when Jesus died in the mind of God, we died with him. The old man, what we used to be, died with Christ. Not only did we die with him, we were buried with him, and we were raised to walk in a newness of life. That's what the whole sixth chapter of the book of Romans is all about. It explains our salvation and what took place there. Go over, if you will, to Romans chapter 6, and let's take a look at some things that were said there in that chapter, and you'll begin to put the pieces together. Romans chapter 6, let's begin with the third verse. Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. The word baptized means to come into union with. Something else. I used this example before when we traveled through this. It's like back years ago, my dad made a winch, and he put it on the truck, and he was lifting something pretty heavy with it, and it bent that piece of steel over like it won't nothing. And he took it off, took it to the shop, Straighten it back out best he could, and then he welded another piece of steel to it in that area where it was weak at. He brought that winch, that piece of steel, into union with another piece, and then next time he put it on the truck and got that winch under a load, 
and it was under pressure, it didn't react and respond the same way that it did before. You as a child of God, the moment you place your faith in Christ and His finished work, you become united with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're united in His death, burial, and resurrection. And when the pressure's on the next time, the next time the pressure of sin comes on you, you don't react the same way that you used to. Do you follow what I'm saying? When the pressure's on now as a Christian, you don't respond and react the same way as you used to. There's something different about it. It's distasteful to you. You don't want, and that right there is the true reaction of a Christian. We are in union. We have been baptized into Christ. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead, verse 4, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Now, this is not just referring to the rapture of the church, which could take place at any moment. This is also referring to the new life that we now have in Christ. The same power, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, now resides within our hearts and lives. His resurrection is now our resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified with him. Our old man was offered up as a sacrifice with Christ on the cross. Knowing this, you got to know that. When the devil hits you with something, you need to remind him of that. That's where the renewing of your mind comes in. You've got to know this. What I used to be, I ain't no more. I might have stumbled and fell, but I'm still not what I used to be. I'm a new creature in Christ, Paul would talk about in another book. Knowing this, the old man is crucified with him, that the body of the sin nature... Now. In this chapter, you'll see the word sin being used throughout. The word is used as a noun. And in the Greek, we have what is known as the definite article, and it just translates clumsy over into our English. And it actually says the sin. But that didn't make sense to the King James translator, so they left it out. But what Paul is talking about here is the principle of sin. The sin nature. So when you're reading the sixth chapter of Romans, if you'll just put that in there when you see sin and just use the phrase the sin nature, it'll make more sense to you. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of the sin nature might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve the sin nature. For he that is dead is freed from sin. In other words, what Paul is telling us here is that the power of the sin nature has been broken within the heart and life of the believer. That sin nature in your life has been broken. It's been cut off. It's like a lamp that we have back here in the vestibule. As long as that thing's plugged in, and you flip the switch, that light should come on if it's working like it ought to. But the moment we got saved, the Holy Spirit unplugged the sin nature. It's still there, but it's been rendered powerless. 
And it's rendered powerless not because we did some good deeds and helped the little old lady cross the street, or we got baptized, or we read so many chapters, or fasted. It had nothing to do with that. It all took place by simple faith in the finished work of Christ. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And the Holy Spirit continues to keep that sin nature wrapped up, unplugged, if you will, from working in our lives as long as we keep that faith maintained in the finished work of Christ. Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to the sin nature, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the only way that we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. It's through and by faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 12. Let not the sin nature therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield. And when I look that word up today, the Greek word that's translated yield here could also be translated present. The same word that Paul used in Romans 12 and 1 when he said, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, neither yield or present ye your members. Talking about the members of the physical body. Present your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Now when Paul used that word instruments here, he had in mind the weapons of a Roman soldier. So when you read that, neither yield or present the members of your physical body as an instrument or as a weapon of unrighteousness unto the sin nature. When you give in to sin, you've just given it a weapon, and he'll use it against you. As the old saying goes, you're your own worst enemy. And it all Depends on what you present yourself to. You got in trouble because you went somewhere you had no business going. You knew better than to go there, but you went there and you got in trouble, so now you have to deal with consequences. So like I said, this goes right back to what I said earlier. We're not to present our members, the members of our physical body, as an instrument or a weapon of unrighteousness to the sin nature. We're to avoid any situation that may be conducive to sin. If we don't, then the sin nature is going to use the members of our physical body as a weapon of unrighteousness against us. All right, verse 13, latter part of that verse, but yield or present yourselves unto God. Somebody said, you ain't got to go to church every Sunday. What do you think about that? I'm a Christian. I ain't got to go to church every Sunday. I got a problem with that. 
If everybody had that attitude, I wouldn't have a job. So you can see why I'd take offense to it. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other Sunday here. I said, Preacher, you're sweating. I said, Yeah, you sinners about to wear me out. <laughs> they said, Yeah, if it weren't for us sinners, you wouldn't have a job. <laughs> but if everybody had that idea, I ain't got to go to church to be saved. Can you imagine the, 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 the problems we'd have? We shouldn't, no, not only should you go to church on Sunday, but as often as you can, every day. I'm going to tell you what, I present myself to the eating table every day, at least three times. And you as a child of God, you need to present yourself to God's table. Present yourself to His Word. Put yourself in an environment conducive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Without it, I can go ahead and tell you, you ain't going to make it. How many meals can you do without? Some of us need to do without some meals. It'd do us some good, probably. But you're not going to live very long if you do without eating. So we have to present ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments or weapons of righteousness unto God. If we'll present our bodies as a living sacrifice by maintaining our faith, in Christ and His finished work, then the Holy Spirit can use the members of our physical body as an instrument, as a weapon against the powers of darkness. Let me say that again. If we will present our bodies as a living sacrifice, you do that by maintaining your faith in Christ and His finished work, that allows the Holy Spirit to work within the members of our physical body, and the Holy Spirit can use our body as an instrument, as a weapon against the powers of darkness. Take that, devil. <laughs> I don't know about you, but the devil's had it long enough. Verse 14, For sin, the sin nature shall not have dominion over you. That is God's will in the heart and life of the Christian. For the sin nature shall not have dominion over you. Friend, that covers a wide territory right there. Because when we think of sin, we think about the big five. I won't spit, chew, cuss, smoke, commit adultery. The list goes on and on. We think about the big ugly things. But let me tell you, there's some attitudes that we have that's not Christ-like and it's sin. The sin nature is dominating us in our attitude. The sin nature is dominating our tongue when we're constantly speaking doubt and unbelief. Yeah, I know, things come at us hard sometimes. The bills is piled up and you don't know how you're going to pay them. And it's easy to, to give in to that and to talk about all this doubt and unbelief and negative stuff. But when you keep yielding your tongue to that and giving glory to the devil instead of giving glory to God, that's sin. And the sin nature is dominating you in that area. The sin nature is dominating some of you in your thought life. Now, you ain't got control over a bird that flies over your head. 
but you do have control over whether it builds a nest in your hair. Okay? You, you dwell on things. You think on things. Paul told us about what things to think on. Whatsoever things are pure and honest and of a good report, think on these things. Things that are godly things. Some of us are just going to have to cut the news off and get off of Facebook because there's, there's a lot of negative stuff on there that uh, we don't need to be presenting our minds and our bodies to. Because it affects us too much. It's affecting our attitude. It's affecting our prayer life. It's affecting, it's affecting us as a Christian. The sin nature is dominating you. And God said, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Now that is the only time in this chapter that Paul uses the word sin as a verb. See that? What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield or present yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey. Whether of, the, uh, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked. That you were servants of the sin nature, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from the sin nature, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now that right there is our reasonable service that Paul talked about in Romans 12 and verse 1. Let's look at it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When you think about what God has delivered us from, He's not asking anything unreasonable of us. It's reasonable for us to want to serve God. All right, verse 19 of Romans chapter 6, Paul said, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For if you have yielded or presented your members as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield or present your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. It all depends on what you present yourself to. If you present yourself around a tailbearer, then you're going to be gossiping. If you present yourself to good preaching, then the Word of God will, will get in there and, and have an effect on you. It all depends on what you present yourself to. Paul said that we're to present ourselves holy and acceptable unto God. Now, this, there's a problem with this. We within ourselves have no holiness, and we have no way to produce any holiness. Our righteousness and holiness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. And God can only accept that which is perfect. And the only one that was perfect is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the beautiful thing about it. When Jesus died on Calvary, He took our sin and gave us His righteousness. We don't do anything to earn it. 
It's all by simple faith. When God looks at me, He sees the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and I'm accounted as being righteous and holy. And without holiness, no man can see God. It has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of jewelry that a person wears, the amount of makeup that they wear, their shirt sleeve being a certain length, or hair being done up a certain way. Holiness has nothing to do with those things. Holiness is something that God gives to us as we place our faith in the finished work of Christ. And so, uh, look at verse 20. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When we were in bondage to the sin nature, we basically couldn't live right. That's what Paul is saying there. Verse 21, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become the servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness." And the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul said once again, Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. When we take a look at the way God has dealt with us, He didn't give us what we deserved. He dealt with us by grace and mercy, by the mercies of God that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.